you know, you, you really have, you know, no one can really fail until you admit it to yourself that I failed, right? Because otherwise you're then just in a constant state of iteration and striving to continue to perform. And so like, what is failure? Failure failure only happens at the point where you say to yourself, okay, I'm quitting, I failed. When you reach that point, okay, then you can say you failed. But until that time, you got to keep hope alive and you got to keep saying, I haven't failed. I just figured out a lot of ways that don't work. Welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in for another episode of Living Good Currency with Tony. And Tobias. We want to thank you for Living Good Currency and for being a part of this, your shares, your comments, your feedback. Greatly appreciated. Please don't forget to subscribe. It helps fuel us and keep this going. We are excited today to bring in a friend, Dominic Calms, ladies and gentlemen. He is a venture-backed entrepreneur and philanthropist with an expertise in fintech, nonprofits, and charitable fundraising. He has raised over $50 million in venture and philanthropic capital during his career and has been featured in many array of media publications, including NBC, Forbes, CBS Entrepreneur, BBC, Yahoo, to name a few. Dominic is a member of the Forbes Nonprofit Council, Nexus Summit Impact, and is an ambassador for the Global Citizens Forum. Dominic was previously the CEO of Giving, GVNG which Forbes called, quote, one of the most revolutionary platforms in the social impact space today. He is now the CEO of a new venture-backed fintech company, Be Generous, which is poised to revolutionize the way people donate to nonprofits. Welcome to the show, Dominic. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, guys. It's uh, it, Like you said, it's been in the works for a while. I'm excited to be here with both of you and appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, brother. Um, I remember when we got on this uh, the prep call, a couple months ago, it was right before the new year and going to the holiday spirit of things. And Emmanuel's like, you got to meet Dominic. And I know you had a lot of calls that day because you told us you had over 40 calls that day. 40. And in between yeah. our call, you got a call from one of your major investors. Yeah. We never met. The three of us have never met. And Dominic starts telling us a little bit about himself. And, we, and all of a sudden, at one point, Dominic's like, you know, I ha before Be Generous, I was going to do something else. You know what? We should maybe do this together. And we just had a great conversation. When we got off the phone, it was like something really is going on here. Where souls unite like that with never meeting. And we, and, and this is a serious businessman. Oh, yeah, for sure. He doesn't just create nah, businesses nah, for nah, nothing. Nah. They're all purpose-driven. So we just even, it doesn't even matter what we end up doing. The fact that you said that and felt that. We've been talking about that for months, Dominic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I remember that call like it was yesterday. It was a particularly brutal day of phone calls, like, mm. you, like you said for me. And I uh, I didn't know what to expect because, you know, we had never met. And we got on the phone call, and it was just a great call. I really enjoyed, you know, learning about your guys' background and your story and the journey that you both have gone through and what you're building now. It was so mission aligned to the way I've tried to live my life and what, what I'm building when I built in the past that I was just sort of spitballing off the top of my head about this idea that I had previously. And I was like, you know what, you guys would be great to do this with, you know, you get it, you understand the passion and what we're all trying to do here, make the world a better place. Um, and God knows we need it. <laughs> so, um, you know, it was a great call and I've been excited to, uh, you know, to talk to you guys again ever since. So this is a conversation and this is, you know, we, we like to have each episode kind of just continue the conversation of living good currency, which really embodies doing good for yourself and others daily, really focusing your purpose and passions together and learning from great minds like yourself, because you're one of the few entrepreneurs I think of that, that has not only been so successful in business, 
I feel like you've been living be generous, by the way, even though I know that's the name of your, your company. That's been your motto, I think. Maybe that's why the name of your, <laughs> your new company. But it seems like that's been your sort of the role. Uh, can you go into like how you got aligned and your purpose so quickly to to guide you to the path you're on right now? Yeah, ab- absolutely. Uh, I appreciate the question. Um, it's kind of an interesting story. You know, I was born in um, Asia. I was born in Hong Kong and, um, you know, grew up in Hong Kong for first five years of my life. Really interesting experience. Then moved to London, England. Really interesting experience as well. Um, my grandfather actually started the largest consumer electronics company in Europe called Dixon's, which today has uh, 2,000 stores, 45,000 employees. It's a publicly traded company, massive company. Um, and so I kind of grew up seeing him build this incredible company. And by the way, he dropped out of high school when he was 16 years old to start the company uh, in a small city uh, called Edgeware um, and grew to this incredible, it's basically like Best Buy, yeah. but in in uh, Europe and the United Kingdom, it's an incredibly well-known company. So, you know, I, I feel like in some sense being an entrepreneur is in my blood somewhere mm. and, um, you know, moved to the United States, went to university and grad school in New York City. Um, and, you know, I did my master's in international affairs at Columbia University. And I, you know, that's really where the journey begins because I was kind of told that like, oh, you, you know, you graduate from school, you go to Wall Street, like in New York, from Columbia University, like, that's what I was just told. And so like everybody I knew went to, basically went to Wall Street. And I was like, okay, I, I mean, I had no interest in Wall Street whatsoever, but I was like, all right, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So here goes. And I ended up on Wall Street. Um, I was at Citibank Smith Barney for a bit, and then I was at HSBC. And, you know, I did not love it, <laughs> to put it mildly. I did not love it. And I was like, you know, I don't think this is the right, perp- you know, I, just, I just don't think this is right for me. And so I quit. Um, I was making, you know, more money than I'd ever made before. I was, I'd come out of grad school, never had really made money. I was a student, came out of grad school, all of a sudden getting paid, you know, nice salary. And I quit. And this is actually completely true to, to write articles at $300 an article for a think tank in Washington, DC. So not even a job. I was, it was per article. They would pay me 300 bucks per article. And I would submit these articles about international affairs and world affairs and all the interesting stuff. And, and every time they bought one from me, they gave me 300 bucks. It was like such a bizarre experience. And so, but I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And then one day out of the blue, I got a call from BBC World News saying, we read one of your articles. We want to interview on the radio today about the situation in Afghanistan, interestingly enough. And I was like, absolutely. And I had worked previously for the Afghanistan ambassador at the United Nations, at the Afghan mission. And so I interviewed on BBC World News. It was a really interesting discussion. It was kind of a debate about what's happening in Afghanistan at the time. And that's when I realized like my passion lies in trying to make the world a better place and trying to create some sort of pro-social movement in the world. And it doesn't lie in just being a capitalist and just making money and, and just working in the banking world. And I knew it was very clear to me at that point. And so I, I was young, I was super naive, and I was like, okay, we're going to have the most impact. Oh, I'm going to go to government, which is hilarious now, of course. <laughs> but, but at the time, I was like, yeah, this is the way to go, right? Influence millions of people, do something good for the world, um, become a public servant, so to speak. So I ended up on Capitol Hill. I was um, an associate in, in the chairman's office of the Senate Finance Committee, very powerful committee. They oversee all taxes, trade, and healthcare for the United States, particularly working for the chairman's office at the time. And um, it was just this incredible experience. But what I realized very quickly, and I was, again, disappointed, is most at that level, politics is mostly quid pro quo. Like, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. It's like it's like just doing favors for people and fundraising. And I'm like, this sucks. This is absolutely not what I want to be doing with my life. I'm not helping anybody. 
I'm out. And so I it was there for a couple of years, decided I wanted to leave. And that's when I moved back out to Los Angeles where I'd gone to high school. And that's really where I fell in love with the idea of finding profit and purpose, which you guys definitely understand, right? And it sounds kind of funny to say profit and purpose now because every company now is like tripping over themselves to talk about how good they are and how woke they are and how great they are. Even though corporate giving is anemic in this country. I, I wrote an op-ed in Forbes like uh, two years ago about how poor corporate giving is. T- out of total giving in the United States, corporations account for 6% of all giving. It's, I mean, 20, about $20 billion of giving comes from corporations out of a total of just under half a trillion dollars a year in the United States. It's insane. 72% of all giving donations come from people like us. On, so corporations can do a lot more, right? So anyway, that was a tangent. But I, I fell in love with this idea of looking at the nexus of profit and purpose and, and trying to find a private company that could do something good in the world. Because I knew I didn't want to work directly for a nonprofit because nonprofits always have resource constraint problems. They don't have enough resources. And they never have enough money. They never have enough capacity. They never have enough um in general, I just don't have enough resources a lot of times to effect, effectuate the change. So I linked up with a guy named Trevor Nielsen, who um, is the former director of special projects for Bill Gates. And he had started a company called Global Philanthropy Group, which really was the first and ultimately the premier private philanthropic consulting firm in the United States. That company went on to get acquired by Charity Network um, in 2017. But basically, I was there for several years. And um, what we would do is we would run, structure, advise, and manage the philanthropic campaigns for corporations, celebrities, and high net worth individuals. And so I ran business development uh, for the firm, and I also had a portfolio of clients whose nonprofits I would manage, structure, and run. And I did so much good in the world, and I, we did so many amazing things. We built a school in South Sudan, a soccer stadium in South Sudan. We gave out grants all over the world to help HIV programs. Uh, we helped build a school in Malawi. I mean, it's just so many interesting things. We helped during the Ebola crisis get resources to Sierra Leone, if you remember back then. And and I was at the same time, I was making a private sector wage and I was helping these organizations. And I'm like, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. I want to help people and I want to get paid to do it, basically. And and that's been my motto ever since. And that was not even that long ago. That was like eight years ago or something. And I've been doing that ever since in my own way. Amazing. Amazing. I mean, this is a sad statistic that you just uttered. You know, prior to COVID, all the stats were there for the brands to see where Gen Z and millennials were demanding that, you know, they would switch brands if they found one had a, a more authentic purpose. And so the brand started seeing the data. Their consumers want authenticity. So whether they were doing it authentically or they were doing it because the profits were dictating it, I don't care. At the, I mean, I just want to make sure they do it. But then they had this issue, especially post-COVID, how do I tell the good that we're doing? Like, how do we, how do we, if we want to do more authentically, but at the same time to benefit us, I think that's where companies like ours and our relationships and stuff can highlight these individuals so that others can learn about some of the stories and some of the things that they're doing. And that's what we're excited about. It starts with the consumers. Like you said, it's the consumers who are donating 72%. And it's to the consumers who are going to be able to demand change. And I'm excited that you seem to be in that forefront. Can you dive into giving a little bit and what you did with the, with giving? Sure. I'm actually, so I'm currently staying with one of my investors, uh, who's the largest investor in giving. I'm at his house right now. (laughs) So that's where I'm filming this podcast for him. Um, yeah, you know, giving, giving, it was incredibly exciting for me. Giving was the first company that I started on my own. And, um, 
So you guys familiar with Shopify? Of course. So most people don't realize this, but the e-commerce sector and the nonprofit sector are virtually the same in size and scope, which people are like, cannot believe when I say that, but it's the truth. If you look at the e-commerce sector, there are 2.2 million e-commerce stores in the United States. Um, e-commerce sort of, if you look at it from a market cap perspective, uh, was valued at about $568 billion pre-COVID. That was sort of the value of all goods and services purchased in the US that year. And um, about 210 million Americans purchase goods and services online every year in the United States. So it's a massive, massive market. Um, well, let's look at the nonprofit market. There are 1.7 million nonprofits in the United States. So a little bit smaller than 2.2 million e-commerce stores, but not by much. The nonprofit market last year, total donations to nonprofits in the United States was just under half a trillion dollars, wow. just under half a trillion dollars, okay? So slightly smaller than the 568 billion, but not by much, right? You're talking about just a, just a hair under half a trillion. And, and lastly, um, 241 million Americans donated to nonprofits last year. That's 72% of the American public, more than seven out of 10. That's more people than bought goods and services online. And the average donation in the United States is $1,050, which is larger than the average e-commerce transaction and larger than the average buy now pay later transaction, which is only around $650. So you're looking at these two marketplaces and you think to yourself, okay, we have an e-commerce market that's just massive. And we have a nonprofit market that's massive. One of these markets is saturated with technology products. It's saturated with credit card products and credit products and checkout products and all different types of technology, right? And what I'm talking about is the e-commerce space, of course. And yeah. Shopify was at the forefront of that. Right. They said, we're gonna create a one-touch digital solution where you can instantly launch your e-commerce store and we're gonna capture a percentage of that 2.2 million, uh, uh, million e-commerce market in the United States. Well, they've been incredibly successful. So I looked at that and I said, Hold on, right across the pond, there's 1.7 million nonprofits and starting a nonprofit is hard. The average cost, labor and time is very prohibitive. I mean, you're talking $20,000 plus average cost to start a nonprofit. To get the IRS to approve a nonprofit, six to eight months, I mean, that's average. And if you wanna be compliant across the federal, state and local jurisdictions across the United States, it's over 200 documents that need to be filed. So you're really prohibitive cost, labor, and time. So I look at this and I'm like, there's gotta be a better way. So what we did at giving is I raised a, a, a round of venture capital financing and we built um, a digital one-touch solution for instantly launching, managing, and running your own nonprofit project or donor advised fund. And we started this now, I guess it was uh, 2016, at the beginning of 2016, we started the company. And over the last, and I was the CEO of the company uh, for, almost five years. And over the last five years, we've powered thousands and thousands and thousands of nonprofit projects. We process millions of dollars of philanthropic capital through our system. And I, you know, I can't say the names publicly, but we've powered the nonprofits for some of the most high profile nonprofits that you'll see out there. You wouldn't know we were powering it because we're on the back end of those uh, transactions. But yeah, I mean, we actually did um, one of our earliest uh, clients ended up doing one of the largest crowdfunding campaigns in Latin American history. Wow. It was, uh, they, they raised over $3 million in about two days on our platform. Incredible. And we created their whole nonprofit project. It's somebody who's incredibly famous and well-known, so I can't say who it is, but it was, it was so, in, it, was, it was just an amazing, amazing experience. So yeah, I ran that company as its CEO for five years. And only last year I came to my board and I said, look, um, you know, ran this company for five years as a CEO, I'm ready to basically take my next adventure. And I um, explained to my board of directors what I was doing. And um, you know, very pleased to be able to report that some of my largest investors in giving 
back me again in my new company. And I'm still uh, the president of giving and I'm still on the board of giving. So I'm still heavily involved. And in fact, my new company and giving are likely going to do a partnership down the line. So it's been a, just a great experience. <laughs> I remember when we first talked, man. Oh man, He's just a unique. Oh, bro. He got us, bro. Yeah. You know, and I could talk. Oh yeah. <laughs> I said, I, I bet this brother, right. But uh, allow me to say this and, you know, Tony and I is a very unique tandem because I'm back with your grandfather, <laughs> the entrepreneur. And so yeah. I love the journey. I love the adventure. Columbia, that's where I go. This is the school that I'm going to go to. So apparently, you know, this is the path. Okay, let's go to Wall Street. Hated it. Quit. Pause. Yeah. Who does that? <laughs> oh, making good money. I'm going to quit making good money. And so yeah. what I personally admire about your story is the adventure. And you use the word adventure. There's a journey. So even in the adventure, there's things that we might love and often things that we might dislike or even, as we say, hate. But you kept moving until you found, and it's so impressive how you are articulating in creating a space, but it all came from, okay, I'm going to step out, I'm going to go to school, then I'm going to go to Wall Street. Then there's things I do not like. I am brave enough. I am courageous enough. Well, some people probably thought you was crazy. What? You're about to go write articles for $300? Some people in my family thought I was crazy. <laughs> Brother, I, I didn't want to say it. That's not my place. <laughs> but I figured my, my they probably girl, thought you was crazy. My girlfriend at the time thought I was crazy. Of course, of course. And that's yeah. what I uh, I personally found uh, amazing about the adventure. And this is what this is, is a venture to the place that we can find ourselves where we can be most impactful. And when I hear you speak and, you know, I'm a founder, a co-founder of, uh, I know how difficult and hard and arduous and, and you know, to seek to work on the grassroots level and often when systems do not want people who can make the kind of impact on those levels. So when you come across with these, with this data statistics experience uh, is very uh, refreshing uh, to have you in this space in the day. So I just wanted to uh, point that out that uh, I find you as Thank an individual, you. as an individual and I've met plenty of individuals and I don't, impress uh, uh, easily, but I love hard, bro. And uh, what you're doing is revolutionizing uh, how uh, money is moved into the places that it needs to be moved to more so now than any other time, not only in American history, history but in uh, human history, brother. So, Dominique, bro, we give it up. I, I really appreciate that, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. It really does uh, really genuinely does mean a lot to hear that. And, um, you know, I love to be able to sh share the journey with people because ultimately, and the reason I do a lot of public speaking and I do a lot of media interviews is because I think the world needs more. Um, I think, I think human beings generally want to help one another. And I think the world is such a mess right now. We need more of that. And I, and honestly, it's so difficult. Like to your point a minute ago, it's so hard. I mean, I'm, I'm on my third venture back company in what I call Philtech philanthropy technology. And it's hard, man. Like it's hard enough to start a company and raise venture money. It's even harder when you're doing it in an area where most of the VCs are like, what are you doing? Are you a nonprofit? Who are you? Why are you trying to do this? Like we just want to make, we just want to make money, you know? And I get it. I'm not even criticizing them, but, but it's so hard. And when you meet, when you get the right 
person and the right time and the right opportunity and the right investors behind you, you can create magic. You can create some real magic. And I do this because I just hope that somebody hears this and says like, you know what? If he can do it, I can do it. Because I always tell people I'm not special. There's There's nothing special about me. Like if I could do it, you can do it. I promise you, you know, it's like, I learned all this stuff too. And if you can learn it as well, you know, so I, I hope it is inspiring to somebody out there seeing this and, th- and looking at this and being like, if you can do it, I can do it. And I want them to go take the opportunity and take that chance to do it because we need more people like that. We need more companies like that to fix the problems in the world because they are fixable. Yes. They are absolutely fixable. I last thing I'll just say on this quickly is I gave a speech at the UN. It was like two, three years ago now. Funny enough with Val Kilmer, who's one of my best mm. friends, I brought him with me and he mm. spoke there too. But, um, about this exact issue, which is like the world's problems are fixable. It, it, they're not even they're not even that hard to fix. Come on. If you look at the amount of money that's needed to fix most of the problems in the world, it's less than the it's less than the market capitalization of Airbnb. Let's put it that way. And so you can, we can fix these problems, you know. And there's no no one should ever go hungry. No one should ever be homeless, especially in the United States. And and it infuriates me that we're not fixing these problems with all that money out there and all the waste. So to your exact point, my goal in life is really to get the money from where it is now to where it's going to be the most impactful over time. And that's, that's what it's all about. Uh, And I love, I love that you are, first of all, you're inspiring to whoever's listening to this or watching this, you've already got two people. And I, and I do believe that, you know, if you inspire or help one person, you can, your intention is you get humanity with there. Because sometimes people get a daunting test. They hear these statistics. They sound like it's hope. It's great. And then maybe they try to venture out and they see some hurdles. They see the the greeds out there. They run into the wrong mentor, whatever it may be. But we try to remind ourselves it's about doing good for yourself and others daily. Focus on today, the steps you can make today. Don't get so consumed with the negative and the negative news out there, there's so much more good than there is bad. But focus on the good that you can do for yourself and others today and align those passions because the intention followed through with action, that's it. That's where the gold is. The results, it's, it does, it's out of your hands. You want to solve yeah. the world's problems. You want to take the market cap of Airbnb and make no homeless, no hunger. We all, that is an amazing intention followed through with action but if you never achieve those results in your lifetime, you never see ho- you still see homeless people. You still see people going hungry. Does that mean you failed? No. Right. You intended to do it, and you follow through with the action. That's a life worth living. That's what. That's why we came together. 100%. That's why we yeah, came together because that's gold. That's where the good currency is. That's what we talk about. <laughs> it, it, absolutely right. And you know, when you were talking, it reminded me of two phenomenal quotes. One is. Um, a guy named John Kabat-Zinn, he's a meditation and mindfulness coach, uh, professor actually. And, um, you know, you said, don't focus on, you know, focus on the here and now, don't focus on speculation. He has this unbelievable quote. I have it on my wall at my house. It says, wherever you go, there you are. And I I, love that. It's so simple, but just think about that. Like, it's so brilliant, right? Like wherever you go, there you are. And you need to just be hyper-focused on the present. And that's what mindfulness really is about, right? And if the world was more mindful, I think the world would be a much better place, in my opinion. So that was one thing. The other one was interesting is um, I think it was Thomas Edison who said, I've never failed. I've just figured out 10,000 ways that don't work. And to your point about failure, like, you know, you you really have no one can really fail until you admit it to yourself that I failed, right? Because otherwise you're then just in a constant state of iteration 
and and striving to continue to perform. And so, you know, like what is failure? Failure failure only happens at the point where you say to yourself, okay, I'm quitting, I failed. When you reach that point, okay, then you can say you failed. But until that time, you got to keep hope alive and you got to keep saying, I haven't failed. I just figured out a lot of ways that don't work. And it's about, you know, and, and really the difference, uh, there's this, another great quote, I forget who said it, but the difference between success and failure is often just perseverance. So many of the world's most successful people in whatever they do, they just persevere. They're just the people yeah. who say, okay, I've been knocked down a hundred times. I'm going to get up 101 times. Right. And, yeah. and most people don't do that. That's but right. if you can, if you can psychologically persevere through the, the ups and downs of life and of course the many rejections and failures that we all go through, if you can persevere, there is, there is some nirvana on the other side of that. And in the world that we're in of social impact, we don't have a choice. We cannot quit. There That's is right. no option to quit That's right. because if we, if we quit and we don't succeed, it's ultimately somebody's getting hurt somewhere. Right. Because our job is not just to make money is to try to make the world a better place. That's right. So, Failure is not is literally not an option. It's not. Way. And that's 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 just sort of the flow of what I'm saying and trying to what we're trying to get people in the zeitgeist of is is, you know, have all the goals you want, have all these things, but just show up with the right intention. Understand, follow through with action and let because even those perceived failures or that rejection, like I was telling Tobias, Tobias witnessed, it was like five some odd years ago when I began to first write down the journal for good currency. And he was actually right. Only a few, man, only a few months removed from 30 years in prison when he heard me do a first talk. And yet it didn't, it, it wasn't the right time. I just knew it. it just didn't feel right. And I, almost like I pushed it away. And now this company's coming together with the right people, with the right intention, with the right actions, and we're showing up. And so, had I accepted any of the things from the past or the rejections, that was actually a gift to me. It was mm -hmm. a gift. So it wasn't just, it wasn't just a, a learning lesson. It was a gift. So sometimes the perceived rejections are the biggest gift you can because it teaches you something, but also those aren't the right partners, man. Like, you know, or whatever it is, whatever the situation is, you know, uh, but it's. Well, oh, to your point, I was just going to say to your point and, to your point about that being the biggest gift, failure is oftentimes actually a prerequisite for success. Speak, you, you, you almost must fail to really achieve the level of success because if you've never failed, A, you can't learn. You're not going to learn because failure is the ultimate teacher. And B, you don't, you'll never appreciate what you've, you, you've done if you've never failed, right? Started from the bottom, now we're here. I mean, hey, it's right. Started right? from the bottom, <laughs> now we're here. <laughs> yeah, right? Exactly. But, I mean, I do, I, I, you know, again, I don't remember who said it, but I think failure is a prerequisite for success. And, um, you know, every great athlete, every great entrepreneur, every great leader will tell you, I failed way more times in my life than I've succeeded. The greatest entrepreneurs have a litany of failed companies behind them. The greatest, the greatest um, athletes have a litany of failed plays and missed opportunities behind them. The greatest artists have, you know, uh, paintings they hated. I mean, we, we've, we, you know, that is life. And failure, I do believe, is a prerequisite for success. Oh, I, I agree with Dominic. you 100%. Oh, Dominic, I had a question for you when you were speaking on who are the givers? Who are the donators of that 70, I believe you said 2%? I uh, read a study, and uh, I'm pretty sure that you can help me in this. Is it true that women are at the heart of giving 
and mm-hmm. that we should focus more on women and when it comes to bringing about that wholeness, that healing inside of humanity. So when you said that, can we go a little bit under that? Can you give me some? I know it's true. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm in that kind of work on grassroots level. Uh, but for you to say that, uh, I want you to give us a little bit more about who is giving, uh, why they're giving, how much they're giving, and how can we best utilize. This is kind of like the Joseph story. And uh, yeah. that Joseph wouldn't even come out of prison until the women, the most powerful women in the city, put their stamp upon Joseph. Yeah. And then he utilized the energy and maternal instinct and spirituality and power and resiliency and perseverance of the women. And as yeah. I've been told, there's more women in the world than men. So, uh, mm-hmm. brother, what is your advice? What is your words? Where are you at with that? Uh, uh, you're 100% right. Women hey, I'm right. Ain't that something? <laughs> <laughs> you're right. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, women, first of all, the philanthropic industry, as, as I'm living and breathing it today, is heavily dominated by women. Come on, bro. Uh, most of my colleagues in my first company were women. My second company, we were a minority-majority company, meaning the vast majority of our employees came from the quote-unquote minority community, which includes in this uh, present-time women. And women are more philanthropic than men. They donate uh, oftentimes more. They donate more on average, too. Um, but what's really interesting about statistics, when you look at who donates, this is a crazy statistic. I mean, I didn't even believe this was true, but it is true. Half, half of all donations in the United States. So half of the $471 billion that's donated every year in the United States comes from 1% of the American public. Hey, wow. 1% of the country bro. donates Speak. half, right? And what can you learn from that? I mean, you can learn a lot from that, right? So the average online donation in the United States is about $177. It's pretty low. The average offline donation is over $1,000. So the, the first thing you realize is the vast majority of donations are actually happening offline. Only about 15 to 20% of donations in the United States are done online, which is pretty kind of surprising if you think about that, right? Because online giving is such a big trend. You think it happens all the time. It's only about 15, 20%. It's not very high. So you donations mostly happen offline. And you can think about that like galas, pledges, you know, large endowment donations. I mean, these are all the types of donations that happen offline, phone donations over the phone and so forth and so forth. So that's the first thing. The second thing that you kind of realize is, and this is kind of a sad state of affairs in the United States. I, people always are shocked when I tell them, you know, there's 1.7 million nonprofits, there's half a trillion dollars of donations. And, and, but oftentimes I don't actually get asked the real question that should be asked, which is, why, why do we need such a big philanthropic sector? And, and the answer is very, you know, if you, it, it's such an interesting question because look at Norway, look at Sweden, look at most of Europe. They don't have large nonprofit sectors. Why is that? Are they worse countries than us? Are they less giving? No, not at all. It's because their governments take care of their populations. Okay. You don't need 1.7 million nonprofits in Norway and Sweden and Finland because what those nonprofits do is being done by the government. That's where their tax dollars go. They pay higher taxes and the government subsidizes certain parts of life and provides that social safety net, you know, better education, better roads, better schooling, free health care oftentimes, you know, um, paid leave for parents, the ability, you know, to leave your children with a, a nanny. I mean, whatever it is, the government provides the government's philosophy in these countries is let's have a social safety net. Let's list everybody up. Yes, we're going to have less rich people in our societies. We're going to have more income inequality. There's going to be more people on the average line. But overall, we're going to have a healthier, happier, more prosperous overall society with a better standard of living. Whereas in the United States, it's very much the opposite. We're a capitalist, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, 
true laissez-faire system. And, you know, we're Darwinian. We are absolute Darwinian, right? And so you have extremely large amount of people that are in the bottom 99%, a very, very small portion of the top people at the bottom 0.1 of the top 1%. And those are the people that are constantly giving and creating this massive philanthropic space. Now, I don't blame them. I'm, I'm happy. I'm very happy that they're giving their wealth back because somebody needs to do it. But the question is, do we really need, you know, why should we have such an inflated nonprofit sector? And it's because our government, for better or worse, I'm not even making a moral commentary on it, just the way it is, has, has we've, we've chosen to say we're not going to provide the level of social services that the country actually needs. Okay. And so as a result of that, people fall through the cracks and this massive nonprofit sector has sprung up because people said, hey, wait. We need to help the homeless problem. We need to help the education problem, the food insecurity problem. We need to help people, you know, have a place to send their kids when they go to work, get healthy food. We need, you know, anti-recidivism programs and so forth and so forth and so forth. And so we've created this massive inflated sector out of necessity because our government is not providing adequate social services for the country. And it's reflected when you go outside and you see the state of the country and there's homeless people and there's lots of crime and the roads and bridges are dilapidated because our tax dollars are not being used appropriately. So I don't want to go on a whole moral thing here, but that is a really interesting question, which is people are giving away half a trillion dollars in this country. And yet we still have the same problems that we had 30 years ago. If you listen to a presidential election from 30 years ago, it's the same things you're going to hear at the next presidential election, I guarantee you. And I, I urge your listeners to do this. Pull up a tape from 1984, listen to Reagan, Jimmy Carter, Nixon, whoever it might be, and then listen to the last election we had. Forget Trump. Just listen to the last election we had and listen to what they're debating about. It's the same stuff. It, 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 you know, it's the same stuff again and again and again and again and again. So I'm very passionate about this, as you can tell. Oh, but I love it. I, I love, love it, love too. It. I mean, that's when you were... It's interesting statistic that 50% comes from 1%. Mm-hmm. The other 50% it's comes crazy. from everyone else. And so, yeah. I mean, so, wait, look, thank God that at least people are stepping up because we yeah. need it. And right now, again, what can we, and this is what I love. We can complain all we want about whatever we, the situation is and ask that important question, which is important. Why? And it makes you really wonder. And, and then, and, but given the state of affairs... I want to stay active. I want to make my intention. I want to stay active. And this is what I love about what you've created with giving, which you're still actively involved with, which is to help the process. You're, you're, you say, okay, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm frustrated. If I hear you, I'm just, I'm just sort of repeating some of the things yeah. that I heard from you. It's frustrating that there's so many, there has to be so many nonprofits. But if there has to be because of the situation, let me at least figure out a way to make it easy. Right. Let me let me let me take the stress out of it. He's, we're going yeah, through. Uh, yeah. And then not only make it easy, most likely in a lot of cases is making it easy for the nonprofits that are actually doing the work. And, you know, I'm not mm-hmm. going to go on a tangent, but I come out of prison 30 years, 33 years. California is the reentry as well as the incarceration state of the world. Yeah. But sadly, sadly, people are pivoting into out of law enforcement into reentry, but they're bringing the same thinking, the same emoting, the same preconceived notions and often corruption that they had in law enforcement. Not saying all the law enforcement people are corrupt, but in my experience, most. So the point I am making here, we cannot have any reimagining. We cannot have any great impact 
when they are in position to, you know, uh, deal with the politicians, to get the grants, to get the money, and yet still the problem still remains with the people who need it most are not mm-hmm. in position to get the money. Why? Because you said there's a thousand forms. You haven't done it for three years. You haven't have a proof of concept, uh, you know, mm-hmm. and all the things that you can speak on so much more than me. So it's not so much you're making the process easier. You could be making the process easier for people who are just going to keep milking the system. They can pivot every time yes. something new comes. You're making it right. easy for people that I personally know who are doing the real work in real time, whoever get, and really gives a darn about what's going on. So that's really what I appreciate about you, your approach, your knowledge, your imp- you're informed. You're not just yeah. talking. Brother, you're going around the world having 40 calls a day. You deserve to be talking, and I wish it was more of you. I wish you had some kind of course where you can train advocacies and ambassadors, and I will bring a bring a team to learn from you because we can we do not have the information to articulate ourselves in that way. I can come from a place of passion, but you have that. That's why you're so successful. You know, I come from the time. Oh, Tobias, the data, the data is not out yet. Oh, the science right. haven't proved that yet. Oh, your prefrontal right. lobe won't form. Whoop, you got to stay right. in prison. Now all that right. stuff is figured out to be far science. Now the data right. is out. So there's right. where I really feel that your strength is at, not in the so-called genius or skills and talents that have allowed you to bring, to, to bring it in right now where we need it. But it makes a chance for the men and women that I personally know who need these opportunities and our relationship. For yeah. the two of us to be in that like that, that is very powerful. That's very powerful. Yeah, man. I, mean, I, 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 re- I really I really greatly appreciate you saying that. It, it means a lot to hear that, especially with the journey that you've been on and your background and knowing the system like you do and, and seeing, you know, what I'm trying to do. So, you know, that's incredibly meaningful. And, you know, to the point about uh, basically democratizing access to this nonprofit infrastructure, you know, that's... I'm taking that to the next level with be generous. My yeah, that's my next question, because, baby. Yeah, because generous, like think about right. that stat, right? Half of all nonprofit, half of all donations in this country come from one percent of the American public. Well, when you, it's interesting because when you when you look at polling on why people give to nonprofits or why they don't give, about seventy-two percent of people say we want to give more, but we we're constrained by most of the time by a cash constraint. We're we're constrained by our liquidity. And that makes sense, right? Because inflation and the cost of living has gone up and up and up over the last four years. Real wage growth has really been stagnant up until like two, three years ago. So the cost of living went like that and inflation, we're now in a highly inflationary period, right? As we know, cost of everything's going up. But at the same time, the real wage growth in this, in the United States has been like flat basically. And so somebody in like 2015 was basically making on a wage adjusted base, an inflation adjusted basis, the same thing they were making in 1981. It's terrible, right? And only recently has the has the wage growth started to increase, but now we're in a high inflationary period. So the question then is, if people want to give more, and and God knows we need more people to give, then how do you help people give more, and how do you bring the dignity of being able to donate to your favorite nonprofit, your favorite cause, your favorite organization, whatever it might be, without stressing the checkbook of of the donor? And so what we did is we created my company. Be generous is what we do. We created the first ever philanthropic credit product, which allows someone to donate now, pay later. And I just got two banks to put up over a hundred million dollars of gross loan capacity to power these, what we call PODLs, point of donation loans, right? So the way it works is very simple. You go to your favorite nonprofit, 
Let's say you want to give them a hundred bucks. You might not have a hundred dollars to give, but you want to support them somehow. Okay. In the old days, before your company, before this company, you basically had one option: give less or don't give at all. That's what you give less, you don't give at all, right? Or put it on a credit card and, and be charged twenty eight percent interest, right? So that's that's not a good idea. We don't want, we do not want to get people into debt. That's not we don't want to do that. So what we've done is now let's say you go to that nonprofit and you want to give a hundred dollars. Well, you can now give a hundred dollars finance it through what we call a point of donation loan powered by Be Generous. A bank is going to take that $100, loan you $100. The money's not going to come to your bank account, though. It's going to go straight to the nonprofit. You're going to get a full $100 gross tax deduction. So you're getting that gross tax deduction from the, from the nonprofits. You're walking away with a tax deduction. Meanwhile, you feel great because you made a donation to the nonprofit. And now, but no money, this is the key, no money has come out of your bank account. And now you choose over three, six, nine, or 12 months how you want to pay off that $100. So you might say, you know what? I'll pay it off over, I'm making this up, 10 months maybe. $10 a month for 10 months, no fees, no interest. Cost the donor nothing to do this. Essentially, it's just a donor saying, we're going to take this $100 and we're going to distribute it over 10 months. But the nonprofit is receiving all of the money up front. Because for nonprofits, the key is, 40% of all donations in the United States come in October, November, December, the last quarter of the year. So for the first three quarters of the year, nonprofits are suffering a serious liquidity problem. And half of all nonprofits today in America have less than one month of cash reserves on hand. So nonprofits need liquidity. They need money. And so this donor now has given them $100. They've received the $100 up front. Donors paid nothing out of pocket. And starting in 30 days from now, they're going to be just 10 bucks a month for 10 months is taken out of the account. No interest, no fees, doesn't cost them anything. I'm and telling you, this is game changing. At scale, this solution could solve, fundamentally solve the liquidity problem for nonprofits and can give people the dignity of being able to donate to their favorite nonprofit without incurring debt, wow. without stressing their checkbooks. And that is a real solution that could work. I mean, listen, I mean, just take this in for a second. Because you've been living it. You're living, You're sitting in your investor's home, dedicated <laughs> yeah. to this. This is your world right now. But for two yeah. months, since or a month and a half since you first told us about this, and I love the new name, Be Generous. I said, and now, now we get to see your face. This is a moment, brother. In a few years, we're going to be looking back at them, hopefully in a few months, but in a few years, just think about the revolution that he's going to be creating with this. And we can say, hey, man, we met this oh, man yeah, him, before brother. he started the company. Oh, my goodness. I mean, really, brother, your intention, I guess kind of go back to it, and your actions of following through and attracting, it had, you had to have giving. You had to have these, these steps to even come up and, and launch Be Generous. You could have had Be Generous yeah. five years ago. And by the way, incredible. But it had to happen this in this sequential order. I'm seeing the divine fate, man, in, in your story. And this is what, and, and you know, you went, you had to brave. You had to, I mean, you, you were brave enough to look at these, to your board, to your investors, and say, listen, I know I've been running this company. I hope you're proud of it. I'm not quitting. But I got a new passion. Yeah. But, I, but it's, a, it's a passion that I believe is going to problem solve some of the things that we're seeing with starting up these nonprofits. So it's actually, I can see the part, I mean, it's, it's so. Oh, and another thing is to, this really resonates with me is that whatever relationship he had with his family had his purpose. Columbia has his purpose. Wall Street has his purpose. Writing the article has the purpose. Working in the Senate for now, it has his purpose. Yeah. Those times in his life has only built him up to who he is right now. 
So that is really where the perseverance comes from and more so resiliency. All right. We were just talking about, we talked this as a conversation that we're all having. Just earlier today, we were sitting with my father and we were talking about, we we're just reflecting on a bunch of things. My dad uh, came in town to visit us and Papa John. And he was, you know, they were just reflecting. I know he said it a lot of times, but for some reason today, it just, it really hit me how all 28 and a half years of him being in that cell, in 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 Death Valley, in in death, in 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 the worst of two life sentences without the possibility of parole. All the narratives, it, 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 and he told me, "Oh yeah, I never, I always slept like a baby." I mean, behind us, by the way, behind us are two producers who are both his ex cellmates. So these are these are wow. reentry. Yeah, where these are producers working, and these guys are testing these stories. They saw them when he had no hope. Why you're not even going to the law library, brother? You're no. not even going to no. talk to your lawyers. I and, quit. Yeah, and you're talking about getting out yeah. one day and saving lives and doing all those things that you're, you know. But but we're just talking about the failures that entire time. You were talking and reflecting today how every moment was so important on, for you brother. to be the man you are today. Uh, and, and it goes back to what he's saying. You know, I don't need. Well, thank you. If, if it happens, I don't need hundreds of millions, but I will take it. Brother, I can be an impact in my life all day because there's so many people whose lives need to be impacted. So I can just yeah. step out of my doorstep or jump across that freeway and impact a person's life. That yeah. came from my whole adulthood. Uh, I wasn't biologically or neurologically adult when I went to prison. So that's my whole time becoming an adult was in a life of service. So just imagine that. It wasn't hard. That's why I told Tony, man, I, I appreciate the praise, the resiliency, the stamina, the perseverance, the genius that people feel I had. No, it's so much work to be done inside of a prison setting in which the institutions were not providing. I had the capacity. Yeah. The same way you say the entrepreneurial spirit is in your DNA. My granddaddy didn't go to college. He quit high school at 16-year-old, and look at what he's done. So now I have an yeah. opportunity to go to Columbia and go to Wall Street and make big cheese and big dough. Now I'm up in the White House and in the Senate. So that is what I drew off as well. It's the same DNA. It's the same ancestral memory. It's the same something riding in me, knowing that I can do great things. Why? Because my father did great things. His father did great His father's father did great things. So I knew there was something in me that wherever I am, wherever I am, that's where I'm at, and I have to be. So that's the whole thing. You spoke on mindfulness. Mm -hmm. Mindfulness is my practice, bro. Mindfulness what brings about loving kindness, being in mm -hmm. the moment and knowing that every yeah. moment is sacred, brother. The future is yet to appear. The past don't even exist. It's really all in the moment because the moment is going to be the future. All you got to do is keep living. Right. And the moment is going right. to be the path. So if I put my full self inside of these moments and love on the people around me to my up the energy itself brother is going to push me out of the incarceration that i was in so when tony makes that like today sitting here being involved in these kind of conversations it is miraculous but i was underneath a prison but we was in the lowest part calipatria state prison in calipatria california it's called Death Valley for a reason, 130 degrees 
average in 1991 in the 20 years I was there. No fans, no cold water, and that was when we were super predators, and you were here to be punished till you die. Right. And so when right. I commend you and honor you and recognize you and appreciate you for your courageousness, because that's the same courageousness that I tapped into, that I said enough is enough. I'm going to fight for my humanity, and if I am here, I'm going to be the best individual that I can be. And how I'm going to prove that, I'm going to affect people's lives to the point that I affect the whole prison system to the point that a governor, Governor Brown, wrote a document, a, a legal document saying, I'm going to release Tobias Tubbs from a death sentence. And why? See, why is more important? To help heal and bring about the same kind of revolutionary change that I did behind the wall. So for one time in my life, I was a super predator, only good for death and damnation. 30 years later, we're going to release this man back into society to spread good and do good. So this is good currency, brother. This is the good currency that's running through me. It's running through you. It's running through us. And so I feel that is very powerful and commendable. And I love this podcast for giving us the platform to be able to speak on it. I mean, you know, very, very, very powerful words. And what I was just thinking about when you were talking is, in my opinion, and I, I, I would imagine you've heard this before, but I think your mere existence is inspiration, right? You merely existing. You don't have, you're in a unique position. If you just wake up tomorrow morning, you're inspiring somebody because of your story and what you've done. You don't need to, you, you know, yes, you're the type of person I know I can tell them t- by talking to you. Yeah, you're going to go out and you're going to inspire and you're going to actively do good in the world. But the reality is by what you've overcome, your mere existence is an inspiration. It's inspiring to me. The fact that there are people out there in the world like yourself that have overcome what you've overcome, that's inspiring to me. If you did nothing for the rest of your life, you just sat there and watched television, <laughs> it wouldn't matter to me. I would say the fact that this guy is is not in prison and has come out and has, and has, and has, and has come from where he's come from the hellish nature of what would be unbearable and unimaginable, quite frankly, to me to come out and and to exist in the way that you do now, that is an inspiration in and of itself. And to me, that's an incredible position that you are in. Now you are an inspiration just by your mere existence. And there's not a lot of people in the world that I would say that about. Brother, 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 I know your words. Are, are priceless. I know that uh, we're in the same service or so-called profession. We speak. You speak globally, brother. You speak in positions of what I call trust, but they say power. And I know any praise or any uh, laudation or anything you're saying to me is coming from a true place. And thank you. And thank you, brother, for long periods. Uh, you know, we were treated as if we were nothing. Yeah, I'm talking about the system itself, everything about it. And I understand why it's designed. And I tell people my worst moments are now my best moments because when that happened for me, not to me, because now this is what we're doing. So we draw the resiliency, we draw the power, we draw the light out of those situations. That's the perseverance. So if I can persevere, of course, things I have the potential to do is great. But for you to say that and recognize that and remember, I am a reentry person. Our company helps me and the men and women who support me get one step away from recidivism. When people hear me and this uh, podcast goes behind the walls, 
to hundreds of thousands of men and women, millions in America, who was inside of prisons, hundreds of millions around the world, they can say that man can come out of a death sentence. He was dead, dead as a child, released back into society, and look when he a platform started with a brotherhood, met at a grave. We met at a grave, brother. I'm saluting the dead, letting them know I remember how it feels to be in concrete caves or graves. And I salute you because I know that I will be there in the grave again one day. I am greeting the graves and I hear a grave greet me back. And it is Tony, brother. Brother, I just told uh, one of my loved ones today, that week I met like 300 people. I'm like you, brother. I'm a people's person. I'm a connector. But I'm going to let this light shine. I'm going to do my stuff. I told the brother who brought me to that funeral, I said, that brother there, I'm going to make sure that I do not lose his number because something is going on. So what we're doing here is like a mirror of our journeys together. And now you said, before we got on here, you said, brother, I'm about to go on a hiatus. I'm about to go, brother, I'm about to get offline for a minute, and I'm keeping my word. Brother, I gave my word to the governor. I gave my word to a ward, and I gave my word to the hundreds of thousands of men and women who said that is our champion. That is our example. Release him to the earth so he can speak that change is possible, that transformation is possible. So now I'm keeping my word. Tony's keeping his word to me. And you kept your word to us. And brother, that is no lightweight matter. So if I, my existence is a miracle, you are participating in this miraculous event, brother. Well, I, I mean, I'm humbled, man. I'm humbled beyond words. You know, meeting you, hearing your story, learning your journey, seeing how you've reclaimed the power. In, and I, I really meant what I said. I, I do think your existence, your mere existence is inspirational to me. And I think to a lot of people out there, I know actually that's the fact. And I'm humbled to be able to talk to you today and hear your journey and, and, and Tony's journey and what you guys are doing, I think is so needed for the world. And I'm, I'm, I'm honored and humbled to be a part of it. Dominic, this is just way. the beginning. I, I, I want to say this before we wrap up, because yeah. I know it's been a, a, an hour. Appreciate you. It is, uh, and we're really respectful of your time. And it's, it, I, now that I know you're on the East coast, it's even later. Uh, so I really appreciate it's all it. Good. Is, it's all good. Is, one of the things for anybody listening, you probably already know this because we've talked about this, but just to reiterate, reiterate to you, when we talk about reentry, at first your, your idea is, is people coming out of prison and helping them reenter society. But the reason why it goes so much deeper than that, and that's why he's an inspiration to so many, and, and why my reentry is reentering being from being sick and being, being and that's how I got to the place where I'm at right now. People are reentering from homelessness, from foster care, from depression, from PTSD. So everything that we're focused on with Good Currency and, and, and meeting someone like you is to encourage people that be inspired by his mere existence and know, to your point of his, that whatever you're going through, you also could reenter. It's a journey. And if we just focus on this, we collaborate, we meet people like you, the souls connect, great things can happen. We're lucky enough to be alive and meet you and I'm, I'm i'm humbled to watch be generous i can't wait when it launches we want you in the studio hey. and honestly dominic we're your number one fan really 
But Dominic, man, it's been awesome. It's been an honor. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it, guys. It's uh, it, like you said, it's been in the works for a while. I'm excited to be here with both of you and appreciate the opportunity. For all you listening, please check out the letter BeGenerous.com for the latest and greatest information on Dominic and all the incredible things he's doing and be one of the first to use the technology to change the world for good. Thank you again, Dominic. Appreciate you and look forward to having you back on the show, buddy. Don't forget to check out new episodes every Monday. We're super excited about this. I'm Dominic Combs. I'm Tony Samadani. I'm Tobias Tubbs. And we are Living Living Good Good Currency. Currency.